This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe special episode today. I am Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show. Today we talk about uh, cross-border payments and we do it with uh, Currency Cloud, who gladly is a sort of bringing this show together uh, for us. And uh, our special guests are from Visa and Revolut. I will ask uh, to start with our guests to introduce themselves uh, for uh, uh, for a couple of minutes, uh, starting with Richard. Richard, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. Welcome. What an introduction. Uh, no, thank you. It's really good to be here, and obviously great to be here with with um, with friends in in Revolut and um, and Visa. Uh, so so I'm Richard. I am um, co-founder and chief evangelist. Um, a lofty title for for Currency Cloud. Um, for those listening who don't know, so Currency Cloud are an embedded cross-border payments platform. So what that means is we are the, I guess, the cross-border infrastructure. So we are, uh, we supply the likes of Revolut and other kind of fintechs and banks and, and FX and payments companies. Um, and we were um, actually acquired last year by um, our friends at Visa after probably two or three years kind of courting um, you know, we worked with them. We had a, a, a kind of commercial relationship with them and, and partnerships as kind of we worked together um, on the, the whole cross-border piece. Um, so we are now kind of part of part of Visa and and looking forward to what the next kind of years kind of bring in terms of our, our joint missions, right, of kind of connecting the world with, with payments. Um, and it's great to be here. Thank you, Richard. I actually have, uh, you know, I am super proud of Currency Cloud, uh, you know, being here with us because... Uh, you know, for the ones who are like old enough uh, to remember the InnoTribe times, the currency cloud won InnoTribe. I don't even know. Could it be like 10 years ago or something? You know, whatever. It's uh, you know, uh, probably yeah. like close. Yeah, close. I mean, this was this was in the days when it wasn't fintech. It was kind of new finance, right? Exactly. So something fintech was, something. A, was a word that I think was created and... Um, so- so, yeah. something like that something like that and and you know and and, uh, and i'm glad because uh, this this whole thing of this uh you know tribe alumni kind of uh, you know being acquired and you know actually from from one alumni to another one because revolut is uh, is another winner you know back uh, back in back in the days so it, it looked like somehow you know swift sort of touched a lot of stones that became uh, gems. Uh, Hugh, uh, welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. 
Thank you very much for that introduction. Um, and uh, so Hugh, Hugh Kingdon, um, I've uh, been around the industry, a little bit of a veteran. For those who are looking at audio, um, you probably can't see that I've got a bald head. And uh, 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 They actually can, face. unfortunately. They actually can. These are the stress lines of payments. And uh, the, uh, essentially, I'm ex-Visa, ex-Mastercard, ex-a uh, big bank who I, I won't name. Um, and and uh, uh, my role in Revolut, who I uh, work for and advise, is um, I am uh, essentially head of card payments, VP card payments, and, and my job is to help advise Revolut. And, and before that, I was actually in Visa, and I actually introduced um, uh, Revolut into the Visa family uh, and subsequently did a deal. So I, I first met Nick um, when Revolut was um, a company with just 13 employees how things have changed. Here we are, almost 20 million customers and a valuation bigger than the, than the NatWest group. Wow, just wow, what a journey that has been. And um, uh, so I've been kicking around the industry for a long time. I first got involved in, let's call it FinTech, but I take the point that it wasn't called it then. Uh, I actually worked for a company that subsequently got bought by MasterCard, a company called Mondex, and we were um, minting cryptocurrencies before mobile phones had data and just as the internet was being invented. Oh, boy, did we get the time. Oh, my right. God, you sound so old, you. I mean, oh, you mate, look, mate, it makes me you feel don't, old. Yeah. You don't, Remember you don't those, those like phones it. which, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they had um, uh, three lines of text and uh, they worked at about 300 board on the data service. Well, I actually built, when I was working for a big bank, the first ever um, uh, mobile banking service for credit cards in Europe. Oh, a technical success, but a boy, a commercial flop. Well ahead <laughs> of our time. Um, and, and Revolut is an example of a, of a company that has hit the sweet spot, a good proposition with a, uh, a good customer experience at the right point. Thank you so much. And actually, uh, you, you guys seem to like uh, go back go back for a while. So Terry, Terry, you're not a startup. You know, you don't represent. You don't work the startup at least. But uh, you know, you you almost act like one, right? Because uh, you you seems to you know acquire the right uh, you know the companies that are uh, agilizing the business. Uh, you're trying to, uh, if not disrupt, certainly innovate. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe, Terry. Thanks, Matteo. Uh, and wonderful to have uh, such great uh, guests uh, on on here. Um, actually, my so my role at Visa, I'm the global head of fintech and crypto. I actually came to Visa via an acquisition. So Visa was an investor in a company called TrialPay. They acquired the business. So we brought a lot of our kind of startup perspective to the fintech space. Um, Hugh was actually one of the first people that I met at Visa who was um, an evangelist uh, for fintech within Visa. Um, and I spend most of my time really trying to figure out how to bring all of this fintech innovation onto our platform. You know, as a payment rail, you know, we are not the company who is out there creating new payment experiences. That is what Revolut is doing. That is what our, our clients are doing. We are there to support them. So that's where I spend my time. Um, and yeah, excited to... Uh, to dive into uh, the topics today with uh, with uh, with these fun guests. 
So actually, you know, we are amongst grown-uppers, okay? Put it like this, you know, some, it, it is just that our, our current hats, you know, might represent an incumbent, but we all come from the, let me tell you the, let, let me call it the, the, the disruption side, right? And uh, let's start with you. So the, the, the topic is uh, uh, cross-border payments. And uh, if I take a super simplified, you know, we, when we prepare the show, uh, I, I always tell this uh, anecdote about, uh, about Revolut because uh, when, when Revolut won in a tribe, you know, uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick and Vlad, you know, put the, the Revolut beta on my phone and was working for a fund, uh, we missed Revolut, but that's, you know, that's history. Uh, but truth is that back then it was really, like, it started like a, a multi-currency wallet uh, uh, you know, to uh, to agilize, you know, the the literally cross-border payments, and then you know, thousands of miles later, Revol become uh, like a, a, a super app, you know, way to. to and again, I, I'm 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 I, I'm using a language that you you are going to to refine, and and the 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 question or the the topic I want to start with is, uh, pitch. Let's pitch a little bit this. Uh, cross-border payments uh, uh, space and uh, how is uh, the business how has the business evolved you know in the past uh, in the past decade and uh, you know why are players uh, like Revolut uh, started that uh, uh, started that disruption you know of uh, of what was a really really inefficient and super profitable for the banks I must say as well market yeah, so I think that um, uh, when 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 uh, the the two founders, both of whom are um, immigrants into the UK, um, they uh, experienced firsthand all of the problems associated with the cross-border um, transactions, both the spending uh, and also the movement of money from one account to another. And, you know, it, it was, it still is in many ways, uh, an oligopoly of big players carving up the market and gouging customers for FX fees, for account fees, for transaction fees. And uh, it represented a really poor consumer value proposition. So it was ripe uh, for disruption at, at that time. And the insights that Nikolai and, and Vlad had about creating separate accounts, uh, one for each currency, and only making the change when you needed to, and allowing customers to move money between the accounts, essentially for free, at the interbank rate, the, the actual uh, the cost of, of moving the money, it created this incredible value proposition. And I remember when I went to Visa, uh, oh, no, we worked for Visa, sorry. I, w I went to a major airline and I said, hey, look, we're working for this um, uh, with this company called Revolut. And they said, yeah, we all know Revolut. They were our pilots, our air stewardesses. They all use Revolut. We love Revolut. And one of the things that Nikolai and Vlad got right very, very early on was being top of table in terms of the, the ratings, getting the um, uh, 
the actual pricing right, but also being top in, in, of the table in terms of the customer experience. And um, even now, here we are with almost 20 million customers. The, um, the vast majority, the biggest single channel that of, of customers that we get are referrals from other customers and getting recommended by other customers. So, 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 so those principles of um, uh, a great price and a great customer service, they haven't changed. But the market hasn't changed. That's, they're still attractive. That's still working for us. And then as we enter each new country, that still works. Um, however, as we have begun to, uh, to grow and mature, if we want to continue to have the best product, we're augmenting that product with a range of other services. And in fact, I took a look in preparation for this at a presentation that I had never seen before, which was actually Nick and Vlad's original pitch to investors. That is quite fun, actually. And, and when you take a look at their original pitch to investors, it actually sets out the spending and the money movement. And it talks about freemium, the fact that they will offer a range of services and some of those will be paid for. And actually, the journey of Revolut has been in augmenting the other sets of services that we have to create a, a nice sticky proposition that is holistic in the way in which we want it to work. Now, um, uh, so uh, we've expanded that set of services from consumers uh, into businesses, and we've expanded that set of services into adjacent. Now, as a consumer, I don't have an FX problem. I want to book a holiday. You know, I want to travel. So what we're beginning to do is augment the, the set of services with things like Revolut Stays, which is a Revolut uh, travel booking service. We are augmenting it for businesses with um, uh, pay your staff in multiple currencies. So we are working to enhance the value. Um, but if I, if I bring it back to where we started for a second, um, one of the uh, genius moments of uh, Nick and um, the team was that um, you are more likely to get divorced than you are to change your bank. So let's build a product which doesn't have the same barriers to adoption. I have here my, my, my wallet, um, and in my wallet I have some cards, I have some uh, Moroccan dirham, I have some, uh, uh, some pounds, and of course the inevitable mask, um, and I also have um, a lot of cards. To earn that space, to get, my, to get another card in that wallet, I need to really do something different. This is my first direct, my HSBC account, uh, to earn the right to do that, I've got to do something different. And what Revolut did uh, was something different. Um, it was a different reason to take up a card. And as a result, with that lower level of friction, they have been able to grow much faster than some of the other players. And that works in the UK, where they launched, and it works around the world. So uh, what they're seeking to do as they, as they grow uh, uh, and add new services is to continue to disrupt each new business that they entered, just like they disrupted uh, uh, the uh, cross-border business. An example would be um, uh, insurance, where they launched uh, travel insurance, which you pay by the day. Uh, Hugh, for those who couldn't see, Hugh was literally throwing uh, cards out of his wallet uh, and sort of hitting the floor. So I'd love to know what else is in that wallet. Um, I think, you know, Matteo, one of the... One of the sort of benefits we get at Visa is we sit in this privileged position. We get to see incredible fintech companies like Revolut and others 
build these global solutions. And I think what sort of Hugh was talking about is a, a trend that we see often, which is how do you create a global experience, you know, a single app, uh, a single set of services across multiple jurisdictions? And um, we have this kind of constant tension, I think, where people's expectations are global services, but fintech is inherently a local business. If you want to uh, have a card operate in a different country, you often need to conform to local rules. You might need a local bank sponsor. If you're operating in different currencies, you have um, all of the local uh, fiat currencies to deal with. So one of the sort of very interesting trends we watch is how do you create global infrastructure across a lot of local markets? And that's what Currency Cloud and Revolut are doing is effectively adding these abstraction layers so that to the consumer, I have a single card, I spend it everywhere, and I act like a local in each market, even though as I cross borders and spend in different currencies, I'm actually operating under different jurisdictions uh, and under different set, sets of rules. And I think that's one of the, the great trends that we see. Uh, and as a network, we, we think this is a, a wonderful value proposition to both consumers, better value for them, more, con more convenience, and to businesses who are often um, the entities that are most impacted by cross-border payments. There's $120 trillion of B2B payments every year, and a big chunk of those are cross-border. So this is an area that we are uh, excited about. Um, and you know, I'd love to get um, you know, Richard's perspective just on you know, how that uh, sort of cross-border friction gets alleviated with infrastructure like Currency Cloud and others. Thank you, Terry. Actually, Richard, before before he kicks in, uh, I also you know I'm usually the the blunt guy, you know, and uh, also because the, as I animate uh, uh, and, and be the host of different type of content, I am also the 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 thermometer, you know, of the language and of what we vehicle to our auditors, you know. Richard, whilst you answer to Terry's question as well, as well, please. Give the, our auditors who are not the payment experts, because some of them uh, are not, okay? How is the positioning of uh, currency cloud uh, as evolved, you know, in terms of building these rails? Because it also seems to me that it started as a site of more behind the scene sort of uh, work. And progressively, you guys have expanded. And that's why sort of Visa decided that uh, you were instrumental you know, to build that uh, payments ecosystem that he was working, was talking about. There's a lot in there to unpack, I think. Um, <laughs> I know, right? But, so, you know, that's, yeah. that's why you confounded the thing, man. Yeah. You're the man. <laughs> so, this, I think we, we've always been behind the scenes, but that's always been our value proposition. We are quite happy. And, you know, people like Revolut have been the trailblazers and have, have had such a huge impact on the industry it's been beautiful because like, like you know, Terry was saying, we're in quite a privileged position because we can kind of sit there and be an infrastructure provider to the really smart companies who are driving change. And we're just happy that we've played a part in that kind of being, being the infrastructure provider. I think um, what's changed from day one to now, I think there's probably more infrastructure providers. And so they're getting um, more share of, of kind of PR because, you know, I think, I think you said, the, the original question was for a lot of these people, why start with cross-border payments? 
but the whole concept of kind of embedded finance and actually you know, I like to think and knowing Nick and Vlad in the early days they started with cross-border payments because there was a provider in currency cloud who can make that happen right and I think I think that's really important to have these infrastructure providers who can make a lot of this stuff happen um but the other thing is and, and you know is, is amazing with with you know, Revolut are both a customer, but also probably one of our kind of biggest sources of inbound leads because everybody comes to us and says, I want to be the next Revolut. So how do you do that? Um, I think it all come, It also comes down to, let's not be, um, let's not dodge it. It comes down to money for a lot of people because there are, you know, there are still, and I know Revolut approached it slightly differently, um, but there was a big problem, still is a big problem in terms of the cost of FX and the cost of payments. It's huge for the consumer. Um, so a lot of people kind of see cross-border payments as a great way to drive revenue for themselves. If they're looking, if they've got a vertical business and they want to go into a different you know, kind of revenue stream, then they'll, they'll layer on payments. Yeah, I, I, I'm always just fascinated how um, you manage this bridge between local infrastructure, local regulations, local currencies, but effectively present a service that is global. And so behind the scenes, the way that you're moving funds, the way that you're managing the treasury so that it looks like a seamless transaction, which is what we all want. Um, I mean, I think, you know, so anyway, that's that's the question. And I so would love to get a, yeah. uh, uh, maybe sort of peel back a little bit of how you guys do that, where you store funds, where you have regulated entities, et cetera, et cetera. This is one analogy, right? So everything looks graceful on top of the surface, but underneath there's these two little legs kind of going crazy. Um, and I think we're going to get into this as well because cross-border payments or cross-border business is hard because we live in such a regulated world. So yeah, as, as currency clouds, we are regulated in the UK, thanks to our lovely government voting to leave the European Union. We're, we're regulated in Europe, um, in, in, in Amsterdam. Um, we are regulated in um, the US, and that's a whole different story because the regulation is you know, it's, it's federal versus state by state regulation, um, and that's we could spend a whole episode on that. Um, we're regulated in um, in Canada, we're regulated in um, Singapore, and it all comes down to I guess not just the the clever movement of money, but it's also the services that we're able to offer our customers in each of those different jurisdictions. Um, so the the easy answer to how to, to what you said is we manage it. Um, through some very, very smart people and through some very, very smart technology. And I think, yeah, and, and this is one of the, the great um, things about the, the acquisition with Visa, because I think together we can we can look at this and how we park our money um, to ultimately get close to that kind of zero cost, instant kind of payment that, that a lot of people are wanting. Um, but we might also manage it with a, a network of, it's not just a licensing, it's a network of banking and payment providers. Um, and that therein is the complexity of kind of cross-border payments because you never have this kind of one bank that can do everything for you or one payment network that can do everything for you. So it's, again, it's, it's, it's a, a team of people that we've built up over the years um, who are going out speaking to various different providers all around the world um, that has kind of built this, this network that supports our customers. And, and we also, you know, we, we look at this because we look at this from a, a solving a customer problem side of things and you know, we're a proud supplier to Revolut but we're not Revolut's only supplier because you know we only go so deep and so broad in terms of our currency capabilities because you could never be incredible across 180 230 whatever countries it is and, and, and uh, currencies um so what we've tried to do is kind of go deeper 
on our uh, currency capabilities. Um, because then in terms of the, you know, the the offering to customers, it's not just the FX and the movement of the money behind the scenes. It's the offering of you know, multi-currency accounts and, and individual kind of account numbers because of how um, the expectation on the customer is changing. Richard, you, t- you touched on, 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 on a couple of uh, uh, topics that uh, I would love uh, the, the, like the three of you to, uh, to expand a bit on. Uh, we'll do it in the second half of the show. We'll take a super quick uh, break. But just to anticipate, two things. One is uh, you mentioned the fact that indeed, uh, you know, Revolut is not the only client. Uh, but my question here is, uh, what do you think is the role of... Uh, you know, the incumbents, you know, and, and I'm doing like with quotes and quotes, meaning like the more traditional players, the more or less digital, but they could still use like, a, you know, some of their capillarity, the trust, the fact that, uh, you know, they are better positioned in some of the local markets. And, and sort of as a segue to this topic is, uh, you know, how truly global do you think this, uh, cross-border payment markets can be, you know, because I'm an, I'm an investor in Africa and, uh, you know, we're still using the World Remit and the ASIMO and the Western Union who are like super expensive, not really efficient. Uh, and, you know, the last mile is always a challenge in certain countries. And, and you know, and I'm expecting a combination of the three of you guys, the perfect combination of the three of you, sort of bling truly global and, 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 and like sending the money to Bulgaria in LAV should be as simple as, uh, you know, sending CFA money to Senegal, right? But is that truly the case today? This and more in the second half of the show. It's a wrap for now. Banks, fintechs and businesses everywhere can make bigger, better, bolder leaps with Currency Cloud. Currency Cloud gives businesses the capability to move money across borders and transact globally in multiple currencies fast. Experts at what they do, their technology makes it easy for clients to embrace digital wallets and to embed finance into the core of their business, no matter what industry they're in. Working with banks, financial institutions and fintechs around the world, Currency Cloud was acquired by Visa in December 2021. Hey guys, welcome back to the cross-border payments special show on Breaking Banks Europe. I'm still with you, Richard and Terry. We talked about at the end of the first part of the show of the role of the incumbents and, uh, you know, my true question as well related to this, because sometimes in certain countries, basically banks is the only thing you've got, is how global can mar- this market, uh, this cross-border market uh, can be? And I'm talking especially, for example, you know, a- about a country that I know super well, which is Africa, where is not that easy. Who wants to give it a shot? Hugh. So um, uh, we are beginning to turn our attention to those cross-border remittances. How can we make them happen? How can we change the nature? So we've just launched in the United States a free transfer service to Mexico, uh, north-south, to begin to start driving those volumes because price is one of those factors that will encourage people to play. I've just come back from holiday in Morocco 
And in Morocco, one third of the GDP comes from remittances from people sending money home. And the World Bank has always said that the cost of those remittances are too expensive. They need to be cheaper. Um, we need, they need to be cheaper and it needs to be easier. Um, uh, the old style processes associated with a Western Union style transfer where you go to a, a physical shop, you hand over some physical cash, you hand over your identity, uh, uh, the money whizzes its way to somewhere, somebody else hands over their identity, uh, hands over their number, um, and then collects the cash. That is ripe for disruption. There is a tremendous opportunity here to do it better. As Revolut, we see lots of opportunity to improve that uh, frankly, broken customer experience and to serve these markets. Now, in some cases, you, you said, what is the role of the incumbents? Well, in some cases, those are going to be our partners because a company like Revolut, uh, one of the ways to do it is to send it to the, uh, the bank accounts that already exist in, uh, to use example, Morocco and to, um, uh, to work with incumbents. Another method would be to do something completely different, to send it to M-Pesa in um, Kenya or another method. And so as we, as we think about disruption, we need to think about how can we improve the customer experience? How can we price it right? How can we build that network that facilitates these transactions? It could also be a crypto bridge, by the way, now that I think of it. Terry, yeah, maybe you want to talk about it later. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's a good place to dive in. You can see on my T-shirt, these are crypto. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think your question, Matteo, is how does disruption occur? And actually, I'm not sure how you would define incumbents in, in this world. Um, but in, in a cross-border payment, I think the big um challenge is at the endpoints and the nodes. So you mentioned you know companies like Western Unions and, and, and others. The, the rails by which money moves is are actually pretty efficient. You can use card rails, you can use uh, bank rails, you can use crypto rails. The difficulty in sending money to any two parties is the KYC on either end. Uh, it is the the you know the regulation, and then in some cases the, the 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 treasury infrastructure to manage the conversions. Um, you know, at Visa, we're starting to see stable coins uh, become a part of uh, our clients' treasury infrastructure. We're seeing uh, companies pay their employees uh, in stable coins. Um, now, what that does is it manages the uh, the money movement from the source to the destination. That's a pretty efficient, you know, sort of movement of funds. But you still, if you want to buy dinner, I grew up in South Africa, if you want to buy dinner in Johannesburg, you can't buy dinner with USDC. You still have to convert that into the local currency. So there is going to be some friction at that endpoint. Uh, from a visa standpoint, we have multiple ways of solving that. We can attach a Visa credential to that balance, and now you can just go and you know use your Visa debit card at the local Woolworths. You know we'll pay the merchant in, in local rand. We'll accept the USDC as a settlement currency on the network. So I think the way that this disruption happens 
is more and more of these you know, endpoints emerge. Some of them look like Revolut, some of them look like crypto exchanges, but there's a sea of fintech companies and banks and neobanks who are able to initiate and receive you know, these funds. And the rails on which they happen, I think are gonna get more diversified and more complicated, but the rails were never quite the issue. It's the endpoints where there's a ton of friction and I think that's the part that we're on is we, sh- we should expect faster, much more cost-effective transfers across the entire ecosystem. And I, I think crypto will be one of the infrastructure rails that 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 drives that innovation. Yeah, let me I, I completely agree. I, I frame it in a slightly different way in terms of, and you, know, there's, you always bring up, and, and people always ask the question of what's the role of the the cool, you know, sexy fintech versus the incumbent. But this is just people playing in position for me. And I also think, you know, with, with the incumbents, what they do and how they solve stuff is they're quite um, kind of inside out looking sometimes in terms of listen, we've got a bunch of products, and this is kind of what we do: go and take them. Whereas what, what fintech have done have, have kind of taken that customer problem issue and gone outside in. And say, we're going to go and really solve a problem here. And we're going to build and and fintechs are agile enough to go and react quickly to that customer kind of problem. Um, But I completely agree with with, with, what kind of Terry's saying. Um, And I'm sure a follow up question will be, you know, uh, I think it is, you know, so who will own kind of payments in the future? Is it going to be the incumbents? Is it going to be the fintechs? Is it going to be the big techs? And I think, listen, everybody's got a part to play. Right. And, and what, what I'm really excited and, and um, Matei, you're asking, we, we posed the, the challenge of, of kind of Africa as, a, as an example. Um, and, um, you know, what I, what I love about, um, about the fintech space in general, but, you know, the, what I'm excited about around the relationship with, with kind of Visa and how Visa see it. And this is about, they talk about connecting the world. We talk about kind of reimagining the way the money flows and it's about creating a better tomorrow for all. It just takes someone to go and solve these customer problems. And there's so many smart people at both incumbents and at fintech who are gonna, um, who are gonna do this. It's not gonna be easy, right? Because cross-border payments are inherently difficult. They shouldn't be, but inherently they are, even in some... Um, you know, even in somewhere like the UK, the US, Europe, it shouldn't be hard. So you, then you go into um, kind of Africa, and I think you know, Terry brought up the the point about KYC. We're in a regular, we're in, whatever we we think we're in the payments business, we're in the compliance business, right? So this is about kind of understanding who our customers are, making sure that money's uh, being sent for the right reasons, the right people. Um, but it's a really exciting time to be in this industry because there's some really smart people who are solving some of these problems, and I think you know future looking where do people want to get to this is about creating that better tomorrow for everybody i yet to live with like sorry Matthew, i was going to jump in sure, I, sure. I think the the role of identity and kyc is huge if you look at what happened in india with upi it followed Aadhaar, which is this identity management infrastructure where everybody in the country had a government issued id that everybody trusted in many, many markets, that's a piece of critical infrastructure that has to exist, or it has to be developed by the, by the companies we're talking about. And so identity management, if you want to send funds in a regulated way, is one of the big infrastructure uh, kind of building blocks. And I think if you want to look at you know, cross-border payments, 
once that infrastructure gets developed, and it has to be developed locally, like, you know, someone in the US can't ID an individual in Tanzania, that has to be done by the local authorities in that country. And that's the infrastructure that that I think we need in order to drive down a lot of the uh, the costs associated with the endpoints. Um, so that's happening. I mean, today, I think the comparison is, you know, you go to a physical store, you present some ID, some cash, you know, gets sent to you. That's why it's so expensive. Once that moves to a digital platform, you will start to see um, those, you know, those costs come down, which is why I think you're seeing a lot of, a lot of efficiency on the B2B side. If you are a business who is transacting across border, it, there's just more infrastructure to kind of KYC the business and kind of manage that, you know, that endpoint on, on any network, whether it's a Visa network, whether it's a crypto network, whether it's a, you know, Swift network. Um, and I, I just want to sort of stress that as a, as a critical building block. Thank you, Terry. And you know, uh, I am rarely the, the the number guy, but there is there is one number which is which is interesting, and is uh, like from EY, 156 trillion dollars. You know, expecting to be like the amplitude of the cross border market this year, and uh, we we didn't like uh, label it, but uh, uh, EY says that. Uh, Emerging markets, financial inclusion, and customer demand are the three drivers, you know, that are going to uh, sort of uh, amplify and, and to fuel this, this growth. And, uh, you know, when we think about, uh, two, so two things. First of all, do we all agree that uh, financial inclusion, you know, we, we touch on Africa, right? But there are plenty of other sort of regions with the same characteristics in, in the world. And in my humble opinion, if you couple this with, for example, the creator's economy, you know, or, or all this, like uh, new people who will generate income, uh, you know, to in a totally ubiquitous and digital ways, the creator's economy are not going to come from like developed markets. Most of it are like this African uh, TikTokers, you know, that will need to receive payments uh, in their own in their own currency, right? So, do we all agree that this is uh, that these three are the main drivers of growth for cross border payment? You, you wanna chime in? I'm not sure uh, uh, they're, they're the only drivers, but they're definitely important drivers. At the moment in Revolut, we're rolling out in Mexico, um, Brazil, and in India. Um, and so we, we are uh, uh, entering markets where f the, the financial inclusion journey has not completed as much as the United States. But even in the United States, the financial inclusion journey still leaves significant portions of the population underserved. And we've been forced in the United States to develop specific propositions for certain parts of the community to better serve them, um, uh, particularly uh, uh, my, uh, remittance propositions uh, for um, uh, Latin American uh, uh, people of Latin American origin to send money home. Um, uh, so, and uh, we've just translated all of our adverts into Spanish, and yeah, we're working hard on 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 that part of the inclusion, and that's really really important. It's important for revenue. It's also important at a societal level. Uh, we together need to do this. One of the um, the funny uh, fun facts I, I really struggle with even now is is why is it that as a consumer I can take cash but I can't take a Visa card? Um, discuss. 
you know, um, uh, in terms of financial inclusion, uh, why why can't I? Uh, and so, you know, there are business problems which, as the fintech industry, we want to solve. Now, that that is a domestic problem. It's a cross-border problem. How can we enable more people to participate in the ecosystem um, as equal players? And again, as Revolut, we've we've kind of had a uh, uh, we have we actually view ourselves as having two ecosystems: a business ecosystem and a consumer ecosystem. And we're trying to bring those two things together to promote that inclusion. So that if you are a prosumer with a side gig or a side hustle, how can we give you the same capabilities as a corporation? that you can have those capabilities and compete on an on a equal footing. As a virtual corporation, just you and, or maybe just you and your mates. And uh, so we're working hard at the underserved elements to enable this to happen. And of course, wouldn't it be great if we could roll out Revolut, not just in the markets that I've just mentioned, but actually around the world? So let's, that's a problem that we're looking at. How can we expand that footprint and, and, and uh, bring the innovations that we have created to a wider market? Yeah, I, I think your original question, and I think is exactly right, and the way we look at it, I guess, is kind of levelling the playing field. And I think on, not the flip side to Hugh's comments, but in terms of kind of bringing that, some of these business capabilities to the consumer is also the other way around, because the changing of consumer demand, we've seen a massive um, digitalization of the consumer over the last well, a few years, and that's creeping now into the the B two B space. So the expectation for businesses who are kind of truly global to have the the types of um, the types of capabilities that we're used to as consumers. That everything is, you know, we were pretty. Um, you know, we, we want everything to be available at the touch of a button now, and I think that's now seeping into the, the business space. So to talk on your kind of changing customer demands, there's a huge huge opportunity i think to continue to layer on innovation in the in the b2b payments world of which there is obviously a huge amount of um of flow there one of the things that i wanted to just pick up is that uh, central bank digital coins uh, coins actually improve the service there is no way for me to get money to australia instantly today and uh, central bank digital coins enable me to get money there instantly at certain points in the day the banking systems turn themselves off um, and Australia and UK are almost anti-phase. So if I do a transaction, it gets there overnight. So, it, so central bank digital clients actually help us improve the service. And, and every time you, you improve reach or you decrease prices uh, and you decrease the friction, the, the volumes increase. So when I uh, said earlier, I didn't quite agree with everything you said, it was, it was really this point that actually that there are new innovations coming through that are actually going to improve the third service and, and enable those global, uh, global businesses to work in new ways. Terry, you see a lot of these uh, new initiatives, uh, especially in emerging markets like uh, the Visa Everywhere program, uh, which I know decently well because I've been like uh, all too coach in a couple of, uh, of instances. What's your, what's your comment on this? You mean, you mean specifically how? No, 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 no. We were talking about the changing in customer demand, right? And especially in, in, in the B2B, right? There are a bunch of other businesses that are, uh, that like did not exist. I mentioned the creator economy or the gigs economy for what that, you know, and, uh, and, and I don't know why, but I made the, the sort of the link into the Visa Everywhere program, which in Africa is strongly, is strongly present. So there are a lot of these new businesses that are using uh, this, uh, you know, your uh, 
this this facility, you know, to get uh, to get attention. That's why. Sorry, I might have distracted you from the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe I'll just sort of kind of talk from a from a visa perspective. We touched on multiple things: financial inclusion, innovation, um, you know, consumer expectations. Um, I think the way we view um, how to support this ecosystem. First of all, we have our own principles. We, we believe in financial inclusion. We believe in better consumer experiences. We uh, we want to uplift people and bring them into the global economy. Our role in doing that is very much to support our clients who are at the endpoints of our network. You know, a Chime, for example. Um, you know, there they have many principles and many goals. One of which is financial inclusion. But financial inclusion is an outcome of them competing for business. You know, they're the ones who are saying it's a good idea to have my payroll instantly available when it posts. Whereas in the past, in the US banking system, my payroll would pace, would, would, would post, but I may only have access to my funds up to two days later. So they're the kind of company that is improving access to my own funds. We support that. Um, it's not Visa necessarily who is at the end point making that happen. Or you go to a B2B company like Jeeves, which is based in, that uh, have a lot of infrastructure for you know, cross-border payments in Latin America. You know, they're the ones that are trying to figure out how to move funds between businesses. We support those types of businesses. So we very much view our role as to be a reliable, available rail um, so that others can innovate on that rail. And then we're, we're pretty um, uh, aware and open that there are multiple ways that money can move. Today, you can think of Visa as a very centralized uh, network with certain guarantees. And we sit on top of a pretty buggy Swift ecosystem. It just takes time. I mean, you mentioned banks close, and you know we have to ultimately. You know, you when you tap your visa uh, in a cafe in London, but your issuer is from Johannesburg. That cafe has certainty of payment guaranteed by Visa. I, as a consumer, have instant ability to leave with my coffee. Otherwise, better wait two days. Coffee's kind of cold, but we have to then make sure that the funds arrive at that merchant. Today, we do that on Swift and other rails. Tomorrow, that could be stable coins. It doesn't impact our business because what consumers and businesses are asking for is that instant authorization layer. And in fact, you can settle with us in USDC in, you know, in certain markets. So I think that's the way that we think about innovation. That's the way we think about financial inclusion is allow others to build on the network and do the best job we can do to attract those partnerships. I'll say kind of one more thing. You mentioned the Visa Everywhere Initiative. That's a startup competition that we sponsor in multiple parts of the world. One of the biggest things we've done is create something called a fast track program. And Hugh was actually one of the people when he was at Visa that really helped inspire us, which is how do we get fintech companies to be on our network when they're very, very young, when, when Nick... Uh, and Vlad, what is it, 16 people, Hugh, when you met them? And part of doing that is to make it very easy for them to onboard with us. You know, one of my experiences coming as a, as a, 
as a payment, you know, uh, uh, startup founder was why can't I just apply to become a member uh, of a visa program online? And so we did that. We moved everything online. We have hundreds of fintechs who apply to our programs and, and go through a process um, where they can, in their market, figure out how to onboard with us. That's the way that we think about innovation. But we think all of the hard work and our great respect is with the founders and CEOs of the endpoint companies and the fintechs that use the network. Uh, Terry, you, you mentioned a couple of uh, sort of uh, potentially big innovation on, on the horizon. Oh, you, you mentioned stablecoin. Of course, that will uh, that would make cross-border payments instantaneously uh, uh, ubiquitous, uh, as well as uh, like uh, this uh, um, mirage of the instant uh, onboarding that could be a drive. You know? So let's finish uh, uh, or, or let's end this uh, this show with a couple of uh, five to ten years horizon and uh, sort of uh, share with us uh, like uh, one or two uh, you know uh, drivers that uh, you think will. Uh, disrupt the business or or where the innovation will come from in the next in the, in the next uh, five to ten years richard you to you the honor oh thank you is that specifically for for currency cloud or just a, a, a general kind of view i mean i can give you in terms of where we're going and, and i sus i suspect that the two will be kind of related right because you wouldn't you wouldn't <clears throat> innovate for currency cloud if you didn't think that is also an innovation for the market, right? Correct. And it's, it's, listen, it's going to be hand in hand, with, <laughs> I think, probably Terry's view. Uh, but I think for us, you know, shorter term for us, um, and back to one of the original questions that I think Terry posed to me around this, and how, how does everything work under the scenes? We've got to go and fix some of that as we grow and as we expand, um, particularly out in Asia Pacific. And that's a big focus for the next kind of year or two for us. Um, and there's going to be a load of innovation out there. That's that's hard work. Yeah, you know, that's that's we talk about. Everybody likes to talk about kind of APAC, but it's what 32 different countries and different regulators. So it's, it's going there and under, really understanding kind of the customer problems out there. Um, so I think number one is is kind of Asia Pacific, um, and number two is you know, we're looking at all of the stuff underneath. Um, you know that, that you don't see in terms of our network and just how we can get better and how we can continue to get closer to kind of zero cost, zero time, and how we move the money physically. Um, and that's a big project, right? It's a big project that sometimes, you know, the customers don't see directly, but they see massive impact. And, and, and you know, that, I'd love to say, I'd love to give you a timeline, but I think, you know, we're very much focused the next kind of couple of years and there'll be, there'll be different projects, you know, as we go deeper with, with Visa in terms of together, what can we go and achieve? I don't think we know that yet. Right. So, because it's such a fast paced and fast moving business. Um, but I think there's Asia Pacific, the network behind stuff um, and then continuing you know, this, this movement of kind of embedded finance and how we support that um, and, at what point the transactions are starting and how we can go and serve that. Hugh, what about Revolut? So I think the, um, uh, the FinTech growth uh, was a result of some conscious decisions by regulators to facilitate competition and reduce barriers. 
And what we have seen as a result of that and a bunch of innovative people is that we've seen a bunch of very new disruptive ideas come through. And uh, companies like Revolut have exploited those ideas. I think that the next 10 years is going to be those companies that you see now in one market or two markets really uh, grow and go global. But the, the, the time of fintech is here. It's going to happen. And uh, the changes to uh, our digital monetary economy, to our actual economy, are going to flow through. And we're going we're gonna to look back at this period as a sign of substantial change. If you look at, just take the UK where I am based today, the age of most of the banks is somewhere between 150 and 200 years old. Uh, when we look back 10 years from now about the companies that we are dealing with, we will be dealing with much younger companies who are changing and adapting and moving much faster. And, and I think we will look back on this as a time of tremendous energy uh, and, and passion. And that won't be restricted uh, to the developed markets. I remember I had a tremendous privilege of being a judge last year for the Emerging Payments Awards. And I remember reviewing entries in Latin America and Africa and places. And I saw some fantastic fintechs coming through that are transforming the economies of these markets. And I think we will see that worldwide. Yeah, I think uh, from my side, I'll be very quick. Um, agree with that. Um, you know, digital KYC and identity management, uh, integrated rails. I think we're actually going to have an explosion of, of rails. We already have card rails, RTP rails, closed loop payment rails. Um, those are all ways that funds will flow um, around the world. Um, and then I think there will be an impact on crypto, whether it's CBDCs or stable coins, uh, things like streaming payments, um, payments that are locked in smart contracts. So. Um, I think from our perspective, it's very hard to predict and build a business around where the future is going. So our view is very much to support the innovation that is happening and do our best to be a choice for those companies that are innovating. Um, and that's what, you know, that's why I think we will see Visa uh, play across all of those uh, different trends. It, it, it's, it sounds like, you know, everyone after embedded is putting a lot of words like payments, insurance, but embedded identity are two words that are not yet often like put together. But that's how I interpret, you know, the, 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 the initial statement that you just that you just made. Guys, thank you very much for this convo. I enjoyed it. I saw. I hope you. I hope did too. I am pretty sure that uh, our auditors uh, did as well. Uh, thank you, Richard, to like bring this show to put this show together uh, with us and the team uh, as well. Natalie, who is behind the scene, and Hugh and Terry, thank you for your uh, insights for being with us uh, today. And uh, usually, there is a, a sort of uh, we always end the show in saying, you know, how can you guys like reach us? But uh, you guys are so big, uh, so visible. And, uh, you know, I, I could I could say all the single like web addresses or uh, places <laughs> where people could get in touch with you. So I would simply say thank you for being with us. And uh, until next show, it's a wrap. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.